Good morning, everybody. It is a joy to be here with you guys again. We were here this summer, and my wife, Sydney, and I thoroughly enjoyed our time with you, and we're glad that we could uh, make the trip and come back again to be with you this Lord's Day. And it was a, it was a beautiful drive. It was a gorgeous drive with all the fresh snow. Um, the parts that we could see were beautiful. Uh, 32 got a little dicey there for a minute, but we made it through. I, for a while, I just, Sydney was in the passenger seat, and I said, just look out that window and make sure that the snowbank is still on that side of the car. <laughs> but it was, a, it was an enjoyable road trip. We haven't had time with our one-year-old to be able to go on any longer road trips like that, so we enjoyed the time together. Uh, thank you for your hospitality. Thank you for hosting us. It's been a pleasure to be here again with you guys. And um, God's word is precious, is it not? It is given to us as a gift. And all too often, I forget that. All too often, I forget just how precious God's word is. And it has been given for us to learn from. It's been given to us to reprove us, to train us, and to equip us for the good works that the Lord has given us to do. So as we begin, let's pray to that end this morning. Father, as we open your word this morning, as we look at Psalm 103, Father, I pray that, um, that you would deepen our love for you, and you would deepen our love for your word. And Lord, we love you, and we, we love your word, and we don't always display that love the way that we ought. And uh, we forget quickly just how good and just how kind you are. And we need regular reminding of your goodness. And so, Lord, I pray that as we, um, as we work through this psalm this morning, uh, Lord, would you grant us understanding? Would you incline our hearts to your word and open our eyes to the wondrous truths that are contained in, in this psalm. And Lord, I pray that as you open our eyes to the truth that it holds, that you would uh, give us the courage and the boldness to change our lives because of it, that you would um, enable us to change what we, what we do, what we say, and, and what we believe because of the truth that is in your word. And we uh, pray in Jesus' name, amen. The year was 1974, and on February 14th, a boy was born into a very dysfunctional family in England. And shortly after the boy was born, this family moved to a sleepy little suburb outside of London. And as this boy grew up at the age of seven, he lost his dad. He lost his father. And he didn't find out until three years later that his father took his own life. So at the age of 10, this boy that had been born into this dysfunctional family finds out that three years ago, his father not only passed away, but his father had committed suicide. And all of the questions that go along with that event flooded into this boy's mind. Why did he do that? Was I not enough? Was I not a good enough son? Did I do something wrong? Did I cause this? Did I have anything to do with it? 
Why did God allow this to happen? Is there a God? All of those questions began racing across this this young boy's mind. As the years progressed, the dysfunction didn't get any better. His mother would remarry, but she would remarry a horribly abusive man that would abuse this family and would later end up in prison for his abuse of his wife and her children. And as this boy endured this hardship throughout his childhood, he found himself drawn to the church. He found himself drawn to the people of God. He enjoyed spending time around the people that attended church. And one day he found himself at an evangelism event where he heard the gospel clearly. And it clicked in his mind. And he surrendered his life to the Lord. He confessed and repented of his sin and surrendered his life to the Lord. And he was gifted musically. He's a very gifted musician, gifted songwriter. And the psalm that we're going to be looking at today, Psalm 103, is a psalm that inspired one of his songs. Psalm 103 has inspired many songs. But this one is quite well known. And Matt Redman's song, 10,000 Reasons, came from this psalm. That boy in England, Matt Redman, as he endured that unthinkable hardship as a child, wrote the song, 10,000 Reasons. And you think about the words of that song, Bless the Lord, O my soul. The same words that are found in Psalm 103. How can somebody who has endured that kind of hardship, that kind of pain, pen the words, bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, worship his holy name. How does that happen? Psalm 103, just like 10,000 reasons, is a call to worship. It's a call to worship. And it summons the reader to worship the Lord and lists four truths about the nature and the work of God that the reader must remember in order to be able to be continually worshipful. Continually worshipful. So let's read Psalm 103 together. Psalm 103 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heaven are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. 
As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for wind passes over it and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The goal this morning is that our view of God would be elevated, that our fear and love of the Lord would increase, and that we would walk out worshiping our Savior with our lives. And in order to do that, the psalmist gives us these four truths that we need to keep in the front of our minds. Because the reason Matt Redman can write, Bless the Lord, O my soul, is because his worship is rooted in something other than the circumstances of his life. His worship is rooted in something that is unchanging and unaffected by the circumstances of his life. And those truths contained in this psalm are exactly that. They are unchanging and unaffected by the circumstances of our life. So the psalm is broken up into three parts. The first is a call to worship in verses 1 and 2. The middle of the psalm contains those four truths, the truths we need to remember, contained in verses 3 through 18. And then at the end, it closes with another corporate call to worship. And so it begins in verses 1 and 2 with a personal call to worship. David is speaking to himself in verses 1 and 2. We get to see into David's self-talk. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's giving himself a command. And our culture says that people who talk to themselves are crazy and that we should just listen to ourselves. And that's not not the case. You watch any Disney movie and the theme of the movie is just follow your heart. David doesn't take that advice. He talks to himself. He says, bless the Lord. Self, bless the Lord. We need to be good at this. We need to be good at talking to ourselves, speaking truth to ourselves, giving ourselves reminders. And my one-year-old son is actually quite good at this. We were at Josh's house for dinner last night, and if you tell my son not to touch something, he doesn't like it, obviously. He throws a little tantrum, but then Shortly after that, he'll walk past that same thing and he'll be going, no, 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 no. As he's walking past it, he gives himself a reminder. I need to be more like him. I need to be better at giving myself, myself this reminder to bless the Lord. David says, all that's within me, everything I have, bless his holy name. That's our duty in life, is to worship the Lord with our lives. And we need this command to bless the Lord with everything that we have. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. 
And then he parallels it, bless the Lord, O my soul. And you would expect something similar to the previous verse, but he breaks the pattern and says, and forget not all his benefits. He says you cannot forget. Always remember God's benefits, the blessings. And this is not our natural response in life. Our natural response is to be complainers and grumblers. And maybe we don't always feel like worshiping the Lord. Maybe we don't always think about worshiping the Lord. Maybe our mind isn't always on giving the Lord the blessing that he deserves. And the cure to that is to speak truth to ourselves, to remember the blessings of the Lord. And that's what David does in the first few verses here. The first truth contained in verses 3 through 5 is that God alone satisfies. God alone satisfies. Verse 3 begins this list of blessings with who forgives all your iniquities. And honestly, the psalm could stop here. And that would be enough of a reason to bless the Lord. That statement that God forgives all of our iniquities should drive us to our knees in worship of the Lord. And this is where satisfaction and fulfillment in life begins, is with the forgiveness of sin. Apart from that, people will search and search and search for fulfillment in life and find it nowhere. The first thing that David lists is forgiveness. Forgiveness. The gospel is the beginning of the blessings that the Lord has poured out on us. And it's amazing to think that he forgives all of our iniquities. All of them. But it doesn't stop there. That verse goes on. He heals all of our diseases. And one day, physically, this will be true. One day the Lord will heal all diseases. There will be no more illness disease. But that day hasn't come yet. So what is this verse referring to? But it's referring to the diseases of the heart, the diseases of the soul. When he forgave our iniquity, he healed our hearts of lust and pride. We are no longer bound by sin. We no longer have to obey sin. Now you know that doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean that we walk about sinless. But the Lord has healed our hearts. When we repent and place our faith in Christ, he has healed us from those things. We no longer have to. David continues, he redeems your life from the pit. We've been saved from the pit of hell. Before salvation, that was where we were marching to. That was, we were on a beeline to the pit, to the pit of hell. And had God not intervened, that's where we would end up. That's what we deserve. And we won't stay in the grave when our life is over. We won't stay in the grave. We will be raised to spend eternity with the Lord. And we're so quick to forget these things. We're so quick to forget these things. And as if that wasn't enough, David continues and says, he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And this is indescribable love 
and mercy. God doesn't just save us from the negative things. He doesn't just save us from sin. He doesn't just save us from disease. He doesn't just save us from the pit. But he blesses us. He gives us good gifts. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. We've been crowned with the love and the mercy of God. And how often do we thank him for that? God's mercies are new each day. And if you're anything like me, you're very slow to be thankful for those things. I'm slow to remember the ways that the Lord has blessed me. And the summary statement at the end of verse 5 is that he satisfies us with good. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. When we dwell on these things, when we think about the truth of the gospel, the reality is that satisfaction, fulfillment in life is found nowhere else. The gospel is the only place where we will find satisfaction and fulfillment in life. Everything else falls short, woefully short. And when we dwell on the realities of what the Lord has done for us in the gospel, that he has forgiven iniquities, he's healed our diseases, he's redeemed us from the pit, he crowns us with love and mercy, that is renewing, that is life-giving. It motivates the slothful, it encourages the weak and the faint-hearted, it admonishes the lazy, and it strengthens the weary servant of the gospel. Those are the things, David says, we need to be thinking about those things. These are the things that we need to think about. The truth is, satisfaction in life is only found in the gospel. God alone satisfies. Truth, too, is that God alone is just and merciful. God alone is just and merciful. Verses 6 through 8. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. This psalm is packed with profound statement after profound statement. And this section of the psalm is intended to remind the reader of something very specific. David picked his words here intentionally. He wanted to draw the reader's attention to something specific. When you hear verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That was mentioned before in Scripture. This chunk of the psalm was intended to draw the Israelites' mind back to Mount Sinai, back to the Exodus. And one of the biggest mistakes that Israel made over and over and over again was forgetfulness. They, how many times in the Old Testament do you read God's command to Israel, remember, do not forget, remember. It's all over because they were so quick to forget. And this portion of the psalm is intended to remind the reader. God led you out of Egypt. He performed 
plagues in Egypt to free you. He parted the Red Sea in front of you. He led you through the wilderness providing water and providing food miraculously. He led you to Mount Sinai where he met with Moses and gave the Ten Commandments. And what did the people do? They rebelled. They created their own God. And God was ready to start over. God says, Moses, I'm wiping them all out and I'm starting over with you. And Moses intercedes for the people and we see God's mercy. He spares the nation of Israel. What did they deserve for their rebellion? They deserved exactly what God said he was going to do. And so Moses intercedes and God shows mercy and shows grace. And if you would turn to Exodus 34, verse 5, is where we get this description that we just read in our psalm. Exodus 34, verse 5, is where David pulls this language from. In this portion of the book of Exodus, Moses is meeting with the Lord on Mount Sinai and verse 5 says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So if you go back to Psalm 103, verse 8, that's what David is referencing. God's description of himself when he says he is slow to anger. He's merciful, he's gracious, abounding in steadfast love. Instead of wiping out Israel, God forgave them. And he forgave them over and over and over again. How can God do that? How is it possible for God, who is perfectly just, not to punish sin? How is it possible that his anger, will, he won't be angry forever? That he will not always chide? How is it possible that he can be merciful? You see, when we think about this in our reality, we have a choice. We either are just or we are merciful. We can't be both. And an easy way to see this is if you get pulled over, for speeding. You broke the law. It doesn't matter how fast or how, how many miles an hour over the speed limit you were going. You were over the posted speed limit. What do you deserve? You deserve a ticket. And so the cop comes up to the window. It doesn't matter what's going on. Circumstance doesn't change the fact that you can't go over the speed limit without getting a speeding ticket. So it doesn't matter if you're late for work. It doesn't matter. Circumstances don't matter. The law doesn't care about circumstances. But the cop has the choice. Is he going to be just and write you the ticket, write you the citation? Or 
will he be merciful and let you off with a warning? He can't be both. It's not possible for him to be both. So how can God be both just and merciful? In Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. Through Jesus Christ. God alone is both just and merciful. And truth number three that we see in the psalm shows us how that's possible. Because this psalm, in the next few verses, verses 10 to 12, show us that God alone offers infinite love and forgiveness. Truth number three, God alone offers infinite love and forgiveness. And as I spent time studying this psalm, this portion of the psalm hit me like a freight train. These verses are some of the most profound verses in Scripture. Listen to this, verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sin. Let that sink in. He does not deal with us according to our sin. Nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. These words, these, these verses are filled with wonder. Think of the reality of what's being said here. He, the God of the universe, the perfectly holy, perfectly just, righteous God, does not deal with us, wretched, sinful people, according to our sins. Paying us according to our iniquities and dealing with us according to our sins would be eternal punishment in hell. Our sin is infinitely offensive because it's committed against an infinitely holy God. But God doesn't deal with us according to our sin. How is that possible? Because Isaiah 53 is true. Because he was pleased to place our sin on Christ. He was pleased to crush his son. His son willingly became our sin. Think about that. When I get arrogant, when I get prideful, when I have a, an angry thought, Jesus teaches in the New Testament that that anger, that angry thought, is equivalent to murder. Jesus became my sin. So as Jesus hung on the cross, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that he became sin. He became a murderer in my place. So that the Lord could then deal with my sin. Notice that verse says, he does not deal with us according to our iniquity. The reason is because he dealt with Christ according to our iniquity. In order that we could become 
the righteousness of Christ. Not only did he withhold from us what we have rightfully earned, but he crushed his own son in order to provide that for us. That is immense grace. That is unfathomable love. How great is his grace? How great is this love? It's infinite. The description that David gives here is him saying, I I don't know how to describe how great this love is. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. David says there's nothing comparable. I can't draw an illustration that will do it justice. How far did he remove our sins from us? As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Lines going in opposite directions forever is how far the Lord has removed our transgressions from us. Friends, is this worthy of our blessing? Is this worthy of our worship? Is this worthy of our praise? Regardless of our circumstances? Why does God love like this? The next truth, truth number four, is God alone is our perfectly compassionate Father. Verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The example that we started with, Matt Redmond did not have a compassionate father. His biological father took his own life and his stepfather was abusive. He did not have a compassionate father. But Psalm 103 tells us that we have a compassionate father. Matt Redmond has a compassionate father in the Lord. Verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. Our father is compassionate when he perfectly understands us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our shortcomings. He knows our frailty. He's not surprised at our failure. He's not shocked at our weaknesses. He doesn't say, I cannot believe he just did that. I can't believe he did that again. He's not surprised by it. And yet, he's compassionate. He knows us perfectly. He created us. He understands us perfectly. And yet, still loves us deeply. And the contrast between God and man is immense. Immense. This compassion that the Lord has for us, the love that the Lord has for us, is set against the dark backdrop of the shortcomings of men. His days are like grass. He's dust. We're dust. We're grass. We're powerless. We're hopeless on our own. Unable to do anything about our sin. One of my favorite quotes is from 
Paul Washer, he said, there's no such thing as a, um, there's no such thing as a great man of God. There's only weak, pitiful, helpless men who serve a great and glorious God. There's no such thing as a great man of God. But there's men who serve a great God. Verse 17 continues this contrast. But what about God? We are dust, we're grass, we're powerless, we're helpless, but what about God? But, verse 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The love and the kindness of God is eternal. It's eternal. Those who have repented of their sin, placed their trust in Christ, God has loved you from eternity past and will love you for eternity future. There is hope, there is strength, there is peace found in God alone. He alone is our perfectly compassionate Father. So who receives this? Who are the people who receive these blessings we've been talking about? Well, if you look at the psalm, verse 11 says, those who fear him. Verse 13 repeats that, those who fear him. Verse 17 repeats it again, those who fear him. Verse 18, the one that we just read, those who obey him. Those who keep his covenants and remember to do his commandments. That is not good news. These, this list of blessings that we just received, that David says, remember these things that are true about the Lord. Who gets to receive these? Those who fear God and those who obey him. That's a lofty standard. Those who fear God and those who obey him. The reason it's a lofty standard is because it's impossible apart from Christ. It is impossible apart from Christ. A well-known verse out of Romans, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That right there, if the standard is those who fear God and those who obey Him receive these blessings, Romans 3, 23 says all have sinned and fall short. Nobody meets the standard. But that verse doesn't end there. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. There's the good news. There's the good news. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, listen to this, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. There's the answer to our question. How can God be just and merciful? Because of Christ. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Christianity is the only religion in the world that offers a solution like that. I have the privilege of interacting with people from all over the world that are practicing all sorts of different religions and every other religion 
You earn whatever it is that you're working for. You, you have to work for it. You have to be good enough. When I have conversations with my Muslim friends, this is usually where I go. I'll ask them, is Allah just? And they usually say, of course, of course he's just. And so I follow that question up with is, well, then is he merciful? Yeah, of course he's merciful. And I say, how? And I watch the wheels fall off the car because they can't answer that question. Apart from Christ, there is no answer to that question. Romans 3 says that those privileges, those blessings, are for the one who has faith in Christ. And so I would ask you this morning, are you in Christ? Because if you're not, it's impossible to fear God. It's impossible to love God. It's impossible to obey God. There is no chance that we can earn our salvation. We are dust. We are grass. We are powerless. We are helpless. An illustration that I heard I can't take credit for it. I believe it originated with Rick Holland, but I'm not positive. But us trying to earn our salvation is like trying to get a AM radio signal with an FM transistor. Except there's no batteries in the radio. And the antenna on the radio is, is broken off. And every wire inside the radio is cut. And the tuning knob and the volume knob are ripped off. And if you wanted to turn it on, you wouldn't be able to because the on-off switch is broken. And if you wanted to try to turn it on and off, even if you wanted to just give it a shot, you wouldn't be able to because you don't have any hands. And if you wanted to reach for the radio, you wouldn't be able to because you don't have any arms. And the radio's on the moon. And you're dead. <laughs> That's the situation that we face when it comes to earning the Lord's salvation. It is entirely hopeless. When we come to the Lord in repentance and faith, we are in Christ. And Scripture teaches us that those who are in Christ are a new creation. He gives us the ability to love and to fear and obey the Lord. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. And as David continues through this psalm, he gets to verse 19 and all he can do is call all of creation to worship the Lord. Verse 19 through the end of the psalm. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of, the, of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts who minister, who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. And so David concludes his psalm and says, Consider everything that I just said. Consider.
consider the truths that are unchanging by the circumstances of our life. The only appropriate response is to bless the Lord, to worship the Lord. David is elevating the view of God. It's, he's putting his finger under the chin of the reader and just lifting their head to heaven. The Lord is above all, he's over all, and worthy of praise. He calls the angels to worship the Lord. He calls all of creation to worship the Lord. And he ends where he began, with a self-command. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. It starts with us. It starts with me. The command to bless the Lord is one that I need often. Because the truths that David laid out in Psalm 103 don't change when we go through hard things. They don't change when we go through good things. The appropriate response to life is worship. Continual worship to the only one who deserves our worship, and that's the Lord. When life is good, God is still better and deserves our worship. When life is terrible, God is still good and deserves our worship. That doesn't mean that life doesn't hurt. That doesn't mean that you can't express the pain that comes with hard things in life. It doesn't mean that you can't grieve difficult things that happen in life. It doesn't mean that we ignore the pain and pretend like it doesn't exist. What that means is that we would have the same response that Job had, where he says, though you slay me, yet I will praise you. That in the midst of those heart-wrenching, horrendous life scenarios that we started with, as an example, the life of the early years of, of Matt Redmond's life, the prayer would be that the response to that would be, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. We need a big view of God. We need to ask him to elevate our view of him. We need to ask him to increase our fear of him and to deepen our love for him and to give us the strength we need to obey him. And we need to ask him to keep these truths on our minds continually. What's on your mind? What's on your mind? What is living rent-free between your ears? Don't let things of this world take the place that the truths of God should be. What do you worship? Don't allow circumstances, feelings, hardships in life, good things in life, determine whether or not you will worship the Lord because he deserves it regardless of what's going on in our life. God alone satisfies God alone is perfectly just and merciful. God alone is infinitely loving and forgiving. And God alone is perfectly compassionate and deserves our worship. Let's pray. Father, you are so good and we are so forgetful. God, thank you for psalms like this that encourage us with the reality of your goodness.
the reality of the extent that you went in order to offer us salvation. Lord, I pray that those truths that are found in Psalm 103 would be on our minds. And Lord, that when we experience times in life where we don't want to or don't feel like praising you or worshiping you, that we would go to Psalm 103 and read it and reread it and reread it until our heart sings with worship that you deserve. Lord, we are grateful for the truth contained in your word, and we pray that you would give us the the strength and the courage to apply it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.